Many Bible scholars believe that verse 1, 2, and 3 actually in the original Greek text belongs at the end of chapter 1. Now you have to remember in the Greek text there's no chapter divisions. And so these chapter divisions were put in by the translators. But so when he says wherefore, so he's going to deal with the word here in verse 1, 2, and 3. But he begins by laying the groundwork for that at the end of the previous chapter. So he says you were born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. Now the word born again is in the passive. And you say, what does that mean? It means this, that God operated on your behalf to make it reality. In other words, it wasn't something you did, it's something God did. That's what passive means. Now, here's the thing. So you were born again one time, never to be repeated. Aren't you glad for that? Say amen. And so in other words, once I was born again, I never had to be born again again. And here's the thing, it was done by an incorruptible seed. And he defines it in verse number 23 as the word of God. So you are born again by an incorruptible seed, the Word of God. Now think about that just a minute and what that means. Everything that has life began with a seed. And so a seed is the source of the life. Therefore, when God birthed us in spiritual birth, new birth, can I tell you something? He started with a seed. And the seed was the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the what? So in other words, without the Word of God, there was nothing to faith. So the Word of God is what was the road through which faith traveled. And so faith traveled on through the Word that God revealed when God convicted you of the Holy Spirit, when God showed you you were lost, the Word of God became the basis through which God, through the Holy Spirit, by the person of Jesus Christ, birthed you into the kingdom. And so here's what he says. He said, grass um, fadeth away, the flower of, of the field fadeth away, but the word endureth forever. So in other words, this word that incorruptible, that is the basis through which God saved you and me, the basis of our faith, is something that never, ever goes away. So I got some news for you today. If you're saved, the word got in you, and when the word got in you, remains in you, and when the Word got in you and remains in you, it's going to be active in you. And listen, if the Word is not active in you, you better ask the question, did the Word ever get in me? Because that's what it means. It endures forever. So in other words, the seed that is in you is always functioning through you. And that's what it's talking about. That's the reason... John, when he wrote 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, could say this, Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now you have to understand, the word commit there doesn't mean a single act. It's present active, which means a habitual, continual lifestyle. Whoever is born of God cannot habitually continue in sin. Why? Listen to what the verse says. Because his seed remains in you and he cannot habitually sin. Because he is born of God. So this seed in which God has placed within us, this seed that becomes the basis of our faith, the word of God, the Logos, the Christ Jesus, the word made flesh, he got in you, the word got in you, and guess what? It's always going to be working in you. So now you're caught up. Now look at verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside, All malice, guile, hypocrisies, and envyings and evil speaking. 
All right, I want us to look at these three verses together. The first thing is the consecration of the saved. You say, what do you mean consecration? Hey, let me tell you something. God set you apart. God did a work in you whereby you became separated from who you were before God saved you. Now, here's what this word laying aside means. It's in the tense of Aris, which means what? One-time event never to be repeated. How many of you agree today when God saved you, you laid aside these things? All right? Now, there's a practical part of this too. That's the positional part. But listen to me. It's a completed word. The word laying aside is translated in Romans 13, 12 as casting off the works of darkness. When Paul used that phrase in Romans 13, here's what he meant. He said that that moment of salvation, we cast off, we laid aside the works of darkness. And here's what he's saying, same thing. He said, having laid aside envies, hypocrisies, and all these things. So something transpired when God took the word by the Lord Jesus, by his life, and birthed you into his kingdom. And you say, what was it? Listen, repentance. You laid aside. You cast off. Now, let me tell you where this, this phrase comes from. You see, for us, it just has an English understanding to it. But when it was written to these folks, they understood fully what this meant. And so what does this mean to them? Here's what would take place. I've taught you this many times before, but they had these ceremonial cleansing baths called mikvahs. And if you remember, these mikvahs were used for the ceremonial cleansing. Now, one of the places you find these mikvahs was outside of the temple. The priest, before they could go in and do their priestly duties, they would have to go into the mikvah and immerse themselves in the water of the mikvah. Remember, the water was called living water. That's what they call it. And they would have to immerse themselves in the mikvah. It was considered a ceremonial cleansing bath. But here's what's unique about it that I've never taught you. When you go in that mikvah, there would be, in the steps, there would be a divider on the steps. And they would go in the right side, they would immerse themselves, come out the left side. But there was something else that took place when they did this. And here's what would take place. The garments they wore when they went in, when they came out, they would cast those garments aside and they would put new garments on. And you say, why would they do that? Because here's the picture. I went in unclean, I came out clean. In other words, the picture was that those garments or who I was before I went in is not who I am when I came out. How many of you agree today that that's a great symbol of baptism? Guess where baptism came from? The mikvah. And so the baptism symbolizes what? This is who I was before God saved me, immersed, baptized into Christ, identified in his death, burial, and resurrection. Hey, he rose me again in newness of life, and this is who I am now. I'm not who I used to be. And so they would change their garments. They would literally take their garments off, cast them aside, and never pick them up again. They would literally be burnt. And so here's the picture. He's saying that there was a day when there was a completed work done and laid aside all malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speaking. Now that's the completed work of it. 
But there's also an active tense to this, a voice tense, which means what? It's a continuing work. So, so how many agree today? When God saved you, you laid aside who you used to be. Now, how many of y'all would, would have loved when God saved you to done away with your old man? How many of you would have loved God to done away with your flesh? Well, guess what? He didn't. And so you and I still battle with that old man. You and I still battle with that flesh. And so what has been done, God is still doing. In other words, Paul would talk to those that he was writing to, and he said, listen, God has saved you, but God is saving you. It's your sanctification that God's doing. And so every now and then, because you still have this old nature about you, even though you have a divine nature, sometimes this old nature will pop up, and now malice, guile, hypocrisy. I mean, we talked about one of the hypocrisies this morning in love. And sometimes these things will crop up. And so what he's saying is, you have laid aside, now continue. Let me put it to you another way. Using the tense of the voice, here, here's the way he's reading. You changed your garments. So don't pick up your old garments anymore. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. Don't pick them up anymore. You laid them aside, don't pick them up anymore. Now, what do these words mean? Well, let me just real quickly run through these with you and as we see the continuing work. Malice means trouble. Simply means this, you cause trouble. Now, the word used here for guile means deceit or subtlety. Hypocrisy means to play act. In other words, you pretend or you act one way, but in reality, you're another. That's what hypocrisy means. And then he uses this term here in this verse, envy. What does that mean? Jealousy, grudge. And then evil speakings, to speak wrongly about other people. And he said, these are the things God delivered you from when he saved you. And you laid those aside. You cast those off in your repentance. Now, just don't pick them up anymore. Something God has done, God's still working in your life and in my life. And so here's the picture. The Christian life is one moment of surrender to another moment of surrender to another moment of surrender to another moment of surrender. Let me tell you when you'll stop surrendering. When you become made like Christ in glory. Until then, you're still going to be surrendering every day of your life. And so this is what he's saying. He said, you were born not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed, the Word of God, and it lives and abides in you forever. And as it lives and abides in you forever, the laying aside God did, the Word of God will work in you where you will continue not to pick up the old garments of your old life. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to be sinless perfect. As I've already said, we're going to pick up those garments every now and then. But see, here's the problem. It's not are we going to pick them up every now and then. We will. The problem is, how many of you remember the day when God saved you, how you, were, you had just an unbelievable brokenness over God showing you your sinfulness? 
Let me ask you a question. Now that you're saved, does still, sin still break you like it did when God saved you? Because that's what he's talking about. I'm not going to cast off something that doesn't trouble me, doesn't disturb me. See, here's what a lot of people do. They excuse it away. I mean, a lot of people have habits they shouldn't have. Addictions they shouldn't have. And they excuse it away of saying, well, you know, listen, nobody's going to be perfect. God understands. I got news for you. God don't understand. Does God forgive? Praise God, he does. But how could God understand when God's given you everything to walk in victory? Y'all say amen. See, God forgives. God enables you to obey. But to say God understands is, is really not true. All right, so now, this is the consecration of the saved. Now look at verse 2. I want you to see the craving of the saved. And you say, why would you use that word? Because this is exactly what he's talking about. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So in other words, this word that God used to bring about faith, whereby you were saved, this incorruptible word that abides in you forever. He's saying, continue to crave it. Now, he uses an illustration. Notice the illustration he is given here. Newborn babes. Now, I remember when we adopted Connor. He was two months old. And I've told you this story before, but... The first night we had him in our house, we had a bassinet in our bedroom. Me and my wife got in bed. You, listen, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. I'd already called my mom and said, help! But she hadn't got there yet. So we're laying in bed, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, or about that, Connor starts screaming bloody murder. Now, I was ready to call 911. I thought, oh my goodness, he, he's going to die. What am I going to do? And you're not going to believe this. All it was was he was hungry. He needed milk. Lisa got up, prepared the milk. Stuck that bottle in his mouth, that baby, quit crying. So why did he give this illustration? Every baby, the desire for milk is natural to them. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Can I tell you, as a born-again child of God, the desire for the Word ought to be as natural to you as a newborn babe desiring milk. And if you don't get the Word, it ought to bother you. It may not make you scream bloody murder like Connie did two months old, but I guarantee you, it ought to bother you. Because it's natural to you. You say, what makes it natural to me? Because the Spirit of God in me, everything about the Spirit of God in me is driving me to truth. Showing me truth, revealing truth, enabling me in truth, giving me wisdom to truth, applying truth, gives me desire for truth. And here's the picture. 
just as a newborn babe craves the milk. It's us that are born of an incorruptible seed. By the word of God, we ought to crave the word of God in the same fashion. Dr. Ron Lynch was preaching at a church not far from here. He made the statement from that pulpit. He said, if you don't ever pick up your Bible during the week, what makes you think that you even, even are close to being saved? One lady walked up to her pastor after the service and said, Pastor, I never ever read my Bible during the week, and that man says I'm lost. The pastor looked at that, that older lady and said this to her, Oh, ma'am, you're not lost, you're saved. And then he went to Ron before the night service, the next night service, and cleaned Ron's plow. Because Ron would make such a statement like that. Well, I'm going to make that statement here. If you do not have a burning desire for the Word of God, the Spirit of God does not live in you, period. You say, well, preacher, that's a judgmental statement no that's a statement from the word of god because that is the whole role of the holy spirit in you and this is what he's saying he's saying listen he said as newborn babes as you that have laid aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies as you that have been born again of corruptible not of corruptible seed but incorruptible seed the word of god as you that have had this work done in you been born again by god as newborn babes desire, crave the sincere milk of the Word. This is the illustration given. So what's the instruction given? He specifies what milk? Notice he didn't just say the milk of the Word, he says the sincere milk of the Word. So what instruction does he give? He said, listen, don't, don't have a desire for just any milk. He said you have a desire for the sincere milk. You say, what's this word sincere mean? Without subtlety, without deceit. How many of you agree today that in America today, a lot of what's being taught in pulpits across our country is not sincere milk? It's partial truths. But it's not the whole countenance of God. If you have a baby who's hungry, crying, and you put something in that bottle besides milk, is that baby going to be happy? No. Matter of fact, that baby will let you know it, won't it? Put water in that bottle and see what that baby does. But here's the sad part. We live in a culture today that people today, and I'm talking about general in America today, people have lost all sensitivity to what is really true. And they're sucking on the wrong bottles. He says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere, the sincere milk of the word. 
Psalm chapter 1 verse 2, delight in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I want you to listen to some of these verses that deal with this. Job chapter 23 verse 12. How many agree Job went through unbelievable stuff? But listen to what Job said. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary what? Go two days without eating. See if you get grumpy. Go two days without the Word of God. See if it even affects you. It should. You see, this is what Job said. He said, I, I esteem it more than the necessary food. Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah is speaking of what God did in the past in his life. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me joy and rejoicing in my heart, for I am called by thy name. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So here's the picture. For a newborn babe, on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think milk ranks on that scale? Well, don't give your baby milk and find out. He or she will let you know it in a New York second. Now in a believer's heart, on a scale of 1 to 10, where does the milk of the sincere word fit into your priorities. Now listen, this ain't a, meant to be an arm twisting, please I beg you, please start giving yourself, no, no, no. The picture he's trying to make here, as, as a newborn babe, it's a natural desire. And so if it's not a natural desire in you, you need to ask the Lord why. Now, it could be as a saved person, you've allowed something in your to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit and that's tempered that desire that can be true but it could be you never have had this kind of desire and that's a whole other problem you see here's what he's saying he said you have laid aside now as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word so this is this is the consecration of the of the saved and it's the craving of the saved but notice the compulsion of the saved Look at the bottom of verse 2. That you may grow thereby. Would you agree today a baby will never grow unless you give him or her milk? I mean, stick a T-bone steak in front of a two-month-old. I mean, they may pick it up and throw it against the wall, but they're, they ain't going to know what to do with that. But you give them milk. And then all of a sudden, they grow up a little bit from that milk, and what happens? You put this stuff in their mouth they call baby food, I call something else. That stuff's nasty. If you don't believe me, try it. And then after that, you give them a little bit of peas. Then after that, 
you give them a little bit more. Then after that, you give them a little bit more. Let me tell you the picture here. As newborn babes desire, crave the sincere milk of the word, why? That you will grow by it. In other words, this craving becomes a compulsion. See, I believe the Bible teaches this very clearly. Every child of God wants to grow. If you show me somebody that says, I, I'm fine just the way I am, I don't need to grow anymore, I'll show you somebody that probably don't know the Lord. Every true child of God wants to grow. You say, why? Because that's the natural thing the Spirit of God does in a person. And so, so here's what he's saying. He's saying the desire that is controlling. In other words, this desire to grow is so controlling in our life. And here's what's unique about this. The word grow here is the same as born again. It's passive. It means that God puts the desire within your heart to grow. It's God that grows you, and it's God that gives you the desire to grow. So as a child of God, I desire to grow. I desire. It's, it's something that controls me. But not only this, there's a desire that's controlling. There's a dissatisfaction that's compelling. Now, here's the opposite side of the coin. How many of you agree if I know and I desire to grow, then I also know and understand that I have room to grow? Let me tell you something. You're never going to grow if you don't think you need to grow. So in other words, what's God got to do? God's got to put a dissatisfaction in you for where you are now that you will have the compulsion to want to give yourself to the Word of God, that by the Word you'll continue to grow. So it's something God's got to work in every one of us. In other words, God's got to show us the areas of our life where we need to grow. In other words, God, I open the Word of God in my daily Bible study. I open the Word of God. The mirror of the Word begins to speak to my heart. The mirror of the Word says to me, you, you're not loving others. You should love others. Right there, what happens? The Spirit of God convicts me. As the Spirit of God convicts me, I get dissatisfied with that in my life, and I say, I don't want that anymore. God, would you teach me how to love right? I want to grow. And so there's this controlling aspect to wanting to grow. It's a desire that's compulsive. It's a desire that you can't get rid of, but at the same time, there has to be a dissatisfaction with where you are. Now you say, well, preacher, where's the joy in that? Oh, I want to tell you. That's the most joyous place you can be. You say, why? Because if you desire to grow, and you see that where you're not growing, and you get dissatisfied with that, and then you give yourself an obedience to the Word, and the Word begins to help you grow in those areas of your life, guess what? Joy! Now, for somebody that's not saved, that's not joyous. But for somebody that's saved, it's joyous. Now, does God have to teach us through that? He does. All right, how many of your mothers would, would remember this with your, when you, with your children? When they got to the place of getting off the bottle and getting the baby food, the first time you put the baby food in their mouth, they didn't exactly cooperate. I mean, y'all know how it went. Open up. Here comes the plane. I mean, you had to trick them. Do y'all agree with that? Say amen. 
But then once they tasted the baby food for a little bit, guess what? Their desire changed. They didn't desire milk anymore. They said, give me some of that. Well, can I tell you that's how God works in you and me? Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews is writing to those believers of that day, and they said, listen, he said to them, you, listen, instead of being taught the first oracle of God, you ought to be teachers. Here's what he was saying to them. You've never grown. I had a preacher one time tell me, he said this to me. He said, I can't preach with death to my people. I said, why? He said, because it's over their head. I looked at him and I said, well, that's not a condemnation on the people. That's a condemnation on you. Because you haven't taught them. Y'all not going to believe this. When I went to college, they used terms that I'd never heard in my life. I mean, these professors were using terms, and I what is that? And you're not going to believe it. I had to learn. And they had to stretch me for me to learn. The greatest compliment a preacher could ever get is he worked himself out of a job. It's a compulsion to grow. The consideration of the saved. Look at verse 3. If so be, you have tasted the Lord, he is gracious. Now here's the motivation of why you're going to desire the sincere work of the word and why you're going to have a compulsion to grow. If so be. So in other words, he gives a prerequisite to growth here. He makes an assumption. If so be, since you have experienced, the Lord is gracious. See, here's what's amazing. The Bible says, taste and see the Lord is what? I want you to do me a favor real quick. Y'all ready to use your vivid imagination? Now, you're going to get mad at me when I do this, but it'll be okay. You can go home and eat after I talk to you, Okay. I want you to think about your favorite, favorite food. I want you to get that in your mind. You say, why are you having us do this? Because your favorite food, you always have a desire for more of it when you have the opportunity. Why do you have a desire for more of it? Because you tasted it and, boy, it was good. You have a compulsion to grow. Why? Because you have tasted. And the Lord's been good. It's a prerequisite to grow. If you've never experienced the Lord in this way, guess what? You're not going to have any desire to grow. Because the more you grow, the more you experience of Him. The more you experience of Him, the more you like it. The more you like it, the more you won't. In other words, you can never be settled where you are. Here's the trouble with most churches today in America. They're settled for where they are. They're fine right where they are. Let us have fun. Let us come and get our ears tickled. Let us have a social club, and we're good.
Where's the growth in that? Brother Lon, do you see that a lot? Do you see that a lot? Churches are settled where they are? All the time? But there's a prerequisite. If you've experienced the graciousness and mercy and grace of God, you can't help but want more. So you see the prerequisite of growth, but then you see the preciousness of grace. The Lord is gracious. Can I ask you a question today? How many of you remember the day that God manifested his grace towards you the first time? How many of you would agree you can't ever get over that day? But how many of you would agree since that day that God manifested his grace towards you, God's been gracious to you every day? Let me tell you something. Every one of us that breathe breath today, God's been gracious to. If you're lost, God was gracious to give you another chance. If you're saved, God's gracious that you could bring glory to him. I mean, think about it. God provides. God enables. God loves. God forgives. God reveals. Would y'all agree with me? Our God is gracious. And so as I grow, I get in on more and more and more and more and more of his grace. Not that I get more. Remember, I've taught you grace is a person. When you got saved, Jesus Christ is grace. It's not that I get more, but I get in on more. I get to experience more of his grace as I grow. One of Connor's favorite foods is steak. Sometimes I'll go up to Wells Jenkins and Wells and I'll get some fillets, I'll cook them. And I mean honestly, I don't have to eat the leftovers from Connor's plate. <laughs> but you know how long it took for him to get to where he could handle a steak? He had to grow. Here's what I'm saying to you folks. Right now, where you sit, could it be said of you that as a newborn babe, the natural desire of my heart is the sincere milk of the Word of God? And if it can't, won't you get along with him and ask him why? because I want to tell you something. There is so much to experience of the Lord that we never, ever tap into because we just won't let him work in our life that we can grow through the word. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Thank you for 
the desire for the word that I see among this, this congregation as a whole. But Father, with that being said, if we're really honest tonight, we all have room to grow here. I know I do. As much as I love your word, Father, there's, there's still always room to grow in this area of my life. And Father, the fullness, the fullness of you, the Godhead, that's the compulsion of my life to walk in and experience. But Father, without your word, I'll never know it fully. So, Father, it was through your word that you showed us our need. It was through your word that was the avenue whereby we had faith. And Father, it's through your word that we're sanctified on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. For your word says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Father, if you don't do anything else tonight, I pray. Lord, you'd stir up in your your children, your, your children, an uncontrollable appetite for your word. I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said...